I'm Taffer. And I'm Bailey. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. So this week, we are, uh, this is, this is a fun and kind of special episode because we're doing we're doing a tv review a series review a netflix series review we're talking about lillian dash on netflix mm-hmm. and this is exciting because last year we talked about i think Lil- it was two years ago was it but yeah i thought it was last year anyway we talked about at some point in the past we talked about dash and lily's <laughs> book of dares and um, it was me and Bailey on that episode. It was the two of us. And I genuinely do not think we have ever trashed a book as thoroughly as we trashed Dash and Lily's Book of Dares. No, we hated it a lot. It was not good. We were yeah. very, very harsh on it in a way uh, that we rarely are. We usually try to be nice to books and... Um, and we really weren't. And you're right that it was two years ago because I don't see it in last year's mm-hmm. holiday uh, list. I couldn't get through it. I mean, I, I literally like I don't I didn't finish it. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I had to like fill you in on the yeah. plot of the last couple chapters because yeah. you just like gave up. I gave up. And you know what? I watched the series with this in mind. So, yes, that was in 2018. It was mm-hmm. December 22nd, in fact. And I was going into the series going, OK, two years ago. I could not get into this book. Like, I couldn't even not get through it. I couldn't get into it. What's it going to be like? And you know what? I loved this. I love the series. I love it so much. I, I loved it. I love it so much that I am going to revisit the book and see, because I'm curious to see if I hated it mostly because of what it is or mostly because of where I was at that point because I I loved it the series I loved it very much but I could also definitely see it being a difference in approach because there's very different approaches between books and series now I'm taking it from how I'm seeing your facial expressions and response that you didn't have exactly the same experience no I definitely liked the series more than the book I think that the and I was I wish I had had time to reread the book because I was trying to remember like what things the series was doing differently. Like one of the main things I remember really hating about the book was just finding the main character like completely insufferable. And I do think they made her slightly more likable in the in the show. And like I think there was just something with the way she was narrated in the book that was really, really awful. And I think she was more. She was slightly more well, well-rounded and more, like, sympathetic in the in the show. I also, from my memory, I think they actually changed the plot pretty significantly. Like, I think that they made up a lot of new dares and, like, changed things. 
I also think that there were like supporting characters got more of a role in the TV show. And I think that the supporting characters were in general quite good in the TV show. And I think that helped things a lot too. But yeah, I definitely didn't, I would not say that I loved it. Um, there were definitely points where I was yelling at it and, and getting upset at it for things. Um, but I did, I found it much more enjoyable than I found the book. That's So what points were you yelling at it? Let's just get right into it. So specifically, like, it was doing this thing, and I, I cannot take entire credit for this analysis. I watched it with my partner, and my partner is very brilliant. It did the thing at the end where, like, they both kiss someone else, but Lily is the one who gets way more shit for it than Dash. Um, it's like Dash gets credit for not, like, fully sleeping with his ex, whereas Lily gets damned for just kissing someone. And so I didn't like that. Okay, but I disagree with your brilliant partner's analysis. And I okay. also, I don't have as advanced literary degrees as they do, but I do have some. No, I disagree with that analysis. I don't think it's true that Lily caught more more shit uh, for kissing somebody else. I think there was a hypocrisy, but I think that hypocrisy was treated. I think it's Dash's hypocrisy. Mm. And, yeah. and that does show up. And I actually thought that got like addressed because he is like well you were kissing somebody else when I showed up and she's like a you didn't leave the book under the tree like you said you would these are massive spoilers folks this is right at the end of the series and uh and so like yeah I went off and I kissed somebody else because you did not demonstrate that you were interested in seeing me anymore um and I actually I actually thought that got like I don't think that I think that was an assumption that Dash had but I don't think it was an assumption. I don't think it was a message that the show gave. No, I think I agree that it like got called out and like dealt with. I feel like, but I feel like Dash didn't completely internalize it. Maybe, maybe I'm being too harsh. Maybe I'm just focusing on me being mad that that even happened. Well, you also said that he had a punchable face. So I think you might have a certain implicit bias against this <laughs> character. But no, I mean, I think the difference in magnitude between the two kisses is simply that Dash walks in when she's kissing mm -hmm. Edgar, who like genuinely a character I enjoyed so much, mm -hmm. enjoyed him so much, specifically as a character, like not necessarily yes. giving a, 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 a real like um, thumbs up to his personality, but but I, I think it was much more that it was like, yes, one of these moments was built up as the climax of the show or of the narrative. Mm -hmm. But I don't think because a moment is climactic, it is. No, I don't think that moment being climactic gave it actually more weight. Like, I think mm -hmm. as the show went on, they dealt with the fact that it it was carrying more weight because it was climactic and not because it was actually like a problem mm -hmm. in any way and I, I actually think like the the place where that was dealt with so nicely is when Lily talks with her brother about the significance of first kisses mm -hmm. because that for me even though she's not talking with Dash about it specifically I think that's a redemptive note for Lily of that moment mm -hmm. of saying so you kissed somebody while you were drunk like that's that doesn't have to matter at all I did really like that. I really liked that conversation. So I think I think you're I think that's fair. I think the show is not necessarily making it seem like she did a worse thing. I think maybe my criticism is just that I don't like Dash and I think yeah. Dash does a lot of shitty things that he doesn't completely See, okay, so here is 
here is what redeemed the story for me because I remember in the book also feeling like the characters were irredeemably unlikable and I didn't care about them because they were both annoying and both annoying very specifically in the way that teenagers who like J.D. Salinger are uh, which is incidentally a way that I was annoying as a teenager so it's just a little too personal. I felt that it was very clear through the whole series that they were teenagers and Mm -hmm. I, I just, I have to think about it, not just from my position, you know, as a 30-year-old adult with children and with standards and with boundaries, right? Like, <laughs> but when I think about Dash, I was, I found that I was, and this is, I think, the first time this has ever happened to me, I was viewing this relationship as though it was, as though Lily was my daughter and seeing it from a perspective of would I be mad if she was dating this kid and she mm. was my kid. And and I wouldn't be because I think it's very clear in the way his character is established that he's a little obnoxious, he's a little full of himself, he pushes people away, mm. but he does genuinely want to be nice to people and he like some of that is his social awkwardness and I just think I think especially having his friends call him out on these things really made like underscored that that it's not like a fatal flaw now I also have to admit that Dash's character reminded me of a friend who I have known since he was uh, like late teens and who has gone from being a little bit obnoxious in the way that Dash is to being just a a very nerdy but pleasant adult. Um, (laughs) So I may have been transposing a little bit of that character arc uh, onto him and, and giving a more sympathetic character analysis. No, that's fair. And like, I, I agree. Like, if, if I had a teenage girl that I like cared about deeply in a protective way, I would not like, I would not be like deeply concerned if she were dating Dash. But so I think I've been like trying to like, what is it? So I think part of the thing that bothers me, and there were like several incidents, is I think there were multiple times in this show where like the show portrayed characters as like, learning a lesson from something that like I don't think they actually learned or like I think that they like got something wrong um fundamentally like what I'm curious this is me being curious not being challenging for what it's worth so specifically okay one of one of the scenes that really really grinded my gears was like at the again massive spoilers my friends this is I'm just gonna put like a huge fucking spoiler alert like right in the show notes because we came out the gate with the climactic scene of the series (laughs) Listen, it's an eight-episode Netflix series. You can binge it in four hours. If you're like me, you will love it. If you're like Bailey, you will yell at it. And, you know, that's kind of a win-win scenario. Mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. So in the, in the end, when Dash, like, goes to get Boomer's help and, like, tracks him down at the Jonas Brothers concert because he's been ignoring him for a week and so Boomer doesn't want to talk to him, I felt like... I felt like that scene was portrayed as like him like realizing the importance of friendship and like going to great lengths to make up with his friends. And I think that was a mischaracterization. Like, cause he says to Boomer, he's like, I went to a Jonas Brothers concert for you as if that like proves that he is like making a grand gesture and being a good friend. But like, he actually went to the Jonas Brothers concert for Lily. 
he went to find Boomer because he wanted Boomer's help in getting Lily back. So he didn't actually go to the concert for Boomer. Um, so I think the whole premise of like, actually, I'm a good friend after all in that scene was not the case. And I don't think he like actually wrestled with how he had fundamentally been being a shitty friend and needed to be better about that. I actually, I agree with you on that scene. I remember that moment just feeling a little bit like, oh, really? Like, I think believing that scene, seeing that scene both as believable, because I can see Boomer being the kind of person who would just enthusiastically be like, like, I don't think Boomer wanted to stay mad at Dash. So, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the scene is unbelievable, but I agree with you that I I don't think that scene was an example of, of... Dash recognizing the error of his ways and how he has wronged Boomer and and thoroughly apologizing. I also got really, really mad at the scene where Lily smashes the snowmen. That doesn't surprise me. Because, okay, so because that scene is supposed to be read as, like, her realizing that you actually do need to destroy things sometimes. But the lesson that she was supposed to learn was, like, sometimes, like, you can destroy things that, like, you create and you can, like, let go of your attachments to things. And that sort of stuff. But instead what she does is destroy something somebody else made. (laughs) That she had no emotional attachment to. Um, And also that she had no regard for, like, the kid who she was going to make really sad because she destroyed their snowman. Um, And I did not like that scene and it made me angry. Um, again, like I have no, I have no quibble with your argument. I think it did not make me as angry as it made you, but, uh, but I was kind of like, well, like it could have been interesting if they were, if we had seen a scene where she had made the snowman the day before, right? Mm-hmm. Part of me now, as I'm saying that, wonders if that scene is on a cutting room floor somewhere, as they say, because uh, mm-hmm. that would make sense. But you're right, it didn't, it didn't really make sense with her character. Yeah, um, if you were supposed to interpret it as she had made these snowmen it would make more sense yeah okay so having aired your grievances i would like to talk about all the things that i loved yes please (laughs) i really loved this show this show made me cry like i teared up at the end i thought it was really beautiful i thought it was really cute it does kind of have what i'm starting to see as like a netflix teen rom-com formula of it's diverse because everybody except the leading guy is diverse. I would like to see Netflix make a teen rom-com where the leading guy is not white. I That's like... Yeah. I was like, okay, okay. So just like P.S. I love you, we have the Asian girl protagonist and the white guy and then they're, all their friends are diverse. Um, but in terms of casual queers, casually existing, there is a trans actress playing a trans woman and it's just never commented upon. Mm -hmm. She just exists in Lily's circle, which is really nice. Um, Mm -hmm. there is a a good diversity of people and backgrounds and experiences, although I mean, ultimately they all are like fairly rich New York kids. Um, but for a Christmas in Manhattan movie, you do have to have rich New York kids because, like, who else lives it's in Manhattan? Kind of necessary um, to the genre. Yeah, yeah. I really loved the alteration of Lily's family from being just New York Jews to being what I saw as like a very believable New York family. She's um, she's Asian on her mom's side. I'm not sure if they specified. I think Japanese. I think um, so. But I'm thinking that largely because the actress 
like a bunch of the actors in that family are Japanese. Um, but I don't think it's specified. And white on her dad's side. I really liked that the family that she's like super involved with in New York is her mom's family, is the the Asian side of the family. It's just like Mm-hmm. It was nice to see a diverse family that's very rooted in New York and in the community because I think a lot of the time when we see biracial families, we see it as like an immigrant and non non immigrant story, and I liked seeing it as just a like this is just a diverse city, and you have people from all different backgrounds who have lived here for generations. Mm-hmm. And I loved how interwoven her family was with her story. I loved how mm-hmm. she had her grandfather and her great aunt uh, and her brother, and they were all invested. They all have stake in her life in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that her parents who were absent for most of the story show up in the end and have like a very active loving presence mm-hmm. with regards to family one of the things that like surprised me in a really delightful way surprised and delighted me is at the very end of the series it's like the last couple of episodes mm-hmm. um, so Lily has been obeying her grandfather and taking advice from her brother and at the very very end her great aunt comes in and is just kind of like why are you listening to them they don't know what they're talking about and you know lily finds out that her brother has broken up with a guy who makes him extremely happy for no fucking reason whatsoever and and all the kind of you see her just going like, why am I listening to these people instead of making my own decisions? And I thought that was really delightful. That moment Mm -hmm. of kind of taking back the curtain and going, okay, these people who I respect and love and look up to are not necessarily flawless and brilliant and, you know, uh, can never make a mistake. And I loved that. I loved seeing that. Yeah, I do really love that that scene where she sort of like calls them out on on their bullshit. And like I feel like it's a really good scene also of like that is a really good moment of like character growth too, I think, cuz yeah. I think Lily is like textbook someone who just like thinks everyone else knows more than her yeah. and is wiser than her and um like specifically like not necessarily smarter than her cuz I think she's someone who thinks she's pretty smart, but like definitely like trusts the opinions of others like specifically in regards to like romance and relationships and stuff um and it's this really great moment of her being like no i also know things and like the people around me aren't necessarily making good choices either like i resonated with lily's character in this one and i think i had so much trouble with the book because her character reminded me of myself as a teenager in a way that i just i just didn't want to read like, you know, there's there's a difference between resonating with a character and having so much secondhand embarrassment that you can't get through the book. But in this one, I think they defuse that nicely. And I liked seeing the story of a teenager who mostly interacts with adults and feels most comfortable with adults. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really have friends her age. And there's a very nice scene actually pretty early in the series she has created this caroling troupe because she loves Christmas, but they're all adults and they're very fun. And I really like their presence in her life. I think they're a fun, both as a like method of narration and just as like being around and being fun characters. Um, mm-hmm. But at some point she's trying to 
they like finish caroling and they're like well I gotta write my thesis I gotta go home and she's like but wait we could we could hang out we could do this we could we could go to a bar like and she's trying so hard to get them to hang out with her and one Mm -hmm. of them is just like Lily honey why why are you hanging out with us like this isn't this isn't something you should be doing with most of your time you should be hanging out with your peers um Mm -hmm. and I love that because I think like I think this may be changing but like when I was a kid I definitely got the message of like teenagers are like like not people of substance right and if you want substance you talk to adults and adults will teach you things and that comes across as a message of adults are better than teenagers which is a very damaging message for a teenager to internalize and I think is one of the issues Lily has is that she's internalized this idea that she is not good and the things she does are weird Mm-hmm. And a place where her weirdness is not pointed out and thrown in her face is with adults. Mm-hmm. And then one of the adults very gently is kind of like, you know, it's a little weird that you only hang out with adults. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and that's very hard for her. And she kind of has to face it. But I also like yeah. that then as she starts to confront that fear and just kind of take baby steps into the teenage world she finds that a lot of the the wrongs that she has perceived are in fact her interpreting things that have happened and turning them against herself you know she takes a guy saying a mean thing about her that she overheard one time Mm -hmm. and turns that into evidence that no teenagers want to be her friends and she will never Mm -hmm. find a social circle among her peers and that was very much the way my brain worked as a teenager and it was really nice Mm -hmm. to see you know like and it's and it's good to see like yeah it was just it was just nice to see that level of like insecurity shown and investigated Mm -hmm. in a way that was sort of gentle and affectionate and she does conquer her fear you know she has a lot of social anxiety at the beginning of the show Mm -hmm. and by the end she is in a much more stable place and much more ready to embrace new things even when she has been thrown this impossibly huge thing of guess what in two days we're moving across the world um which boy did her parents handle that one wrong (laughs) yeah but yeah I liked it and I haven't even talked about romance yet and I liked the romance I actually for the most part also liked the romance um I thought it was like I I felt much more like invested in that in the show than I did in the book and I I especially liked and I can't remember if this was in the book or not but I felt like the scene where they meet at the party but obviously don't know who each other is was very well done in terms of like showing that they actually like do have a connection it's not just sort of like manufactured by this like circumstance they put themselves in that actually like if they were just to meet in the world they actually would get along yeah like I think that that was well portrayed in the tv show and I think that was maybe something that I like bought less in the book Mm -hmm. but I think they did a good job of that I also really like that they um did not play into the trope of having Sophia, who is Dash's very pretty, very worldly, very stylish ex, uh, be Mm -hmm. mean just because she's Dash's pretty worldly ex. True. And she gets to develop and 
be presented as not just his ex, but also his friend and his very good friend who is being mm-hmm. very responsible and kind. Like, you get a sympathetic portrayal of her. I think you get a sympathetic portrayal of pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. But Edgar, I think you get an honest portrayal. And Edgar is, I know I've talked about this before, his character arc is so fun to me because his character arc is really, really an arc. He starts off as being Lily's middle school bully. And you're just like, okay, rich kid's naughty bully. Also, I think they do a good job of costuming and styling him as a kid. I was wondering if that was Dash for like a good portion of the show. And I I think that was a really fun little costuming moment because they had him wearing the same kind of sweater that Dash was wearing in the previous scene. It was good. Mm. So you have him as Lily's middle school bully. And then you have her like confront him in this big, embarrassing public way. And he's like, look, I was also 12. I had no idea, A, that you heard me, B, that it hurt you that much. And Mm -hmm. like, can we maybe give this a shot? Can I say sorry? And like, we can maybe try to be friends because I always thought you were very cool. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. So he just like messed up. And she's been holding it against him for a really long time. And maybe he's nice and they're going to be friends. And then you gradually realize that Edgar just kind of does things without thinking about the consequences whatsoever. He is sort of just spontaneity embodied. And uh, and you're just left with kind of a like, kind of a vague sense. You're kind of like, okay. Like, I, I wouldn't say he's a dick. I wouldn't say he's necessarily a trash person. No. I also wouldn't say he's necessarily a great person. He's a himbo. He's just head empty, no thought. And like <laughs> Yeah, a little. Yeah. And also, okay, I need to know if you also saw this. Okay. You've watched Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yeah. Did he remind you of anyone from Brooklyn Nine Nine? No. All I could see when looking at his character was Teddy from Brooklyn Nine Nine. I can see that. I just like, haven't thought about Teddy in a very long time. Well, Teddy's, like, early in the series, right? Like, he's, like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have potentially watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine more times than you have. You have absolutely watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine more times than I have. I know this because you said more times, plural. And you've... Fair. (laughs) (laughs) And you have watched it one time? I have watched it one time, yes. I watched it at least twice, but possibly more than that. I'm a creature of comfort. If I like a thing, I like watching it. I'm I'm catching up on TV after a lifetime of not watching TV, so I literally don't have time to watch anything more than once because I'm trying to catch up on almost 30 years of missed cultural references. Fair. Fair. (laughs) Yeah, so no, he's he's an interesting character. Uh, There are, like, generally the characters in this show, I think, are well done. And I think especially, like, I found both Langston and uh boomer very like winning and great and i think that they are prime examples of like secondary characters who were like had more of a role in the tv show because it wasn't a first person narration yeah and i liked that a lot i really enjoyed the way they uh translated the interweaving stories also Mm -hmm. i enjoyed i enjoyed that quite a lot you said earlier that you liked the way the party scene establishes that they would have hit it off you know, just meeting in real mm-hmm. life. And um, I now I need to look up when this book was written because, like, it's funny, but, like, this is, I think, the way that relationships start a lot these days. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I and I think that this book was maybe written, like, before online dating really took off. 
Yeah, it was published in 2010. So that was, like, around the time that, like, I don't think Tinder existed yet in 2010. No. I don't think, like, like online dating existed, but I would say no, most people were not using online dating. Whereas these days, I would say most people are using online dating. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fun <laughs> because it takes this, like, I mean, probably not in high school, right? That's the difference. When you're in high school, you date people in your class in high school. Yeah. But it is kind of fun to have this, like, premise of, like you're getting to know each other through writing before you even meet be this kind of Mm -hmm. like woo 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 thing in 2010 and then I think they did a good job of modernizing it for 2020 Mm -hmm. um being like we haven't seen each other and you know I mean of course then they're both thin and conventionally attractive which like I could get mean about this if I wanted to I could analyze the fuck out of it and be like here are all the ways it falls short but when it comes down to it it made me feel a lot of feelings I teared up a little bit I had crushes on each of them in turn even though I would absolutely not date either of their characters in the real world Langston is hot as fuck his boyfriend is also hot as fuck Like, even her grandpa's kind of foxy. I don't know. There's just a lot of eye candy in this. Mrs. Basil could fuck me up. Gladly. Like, there was just, you know, it was pretty. It was pretty and it was cute and it made me cry. And I'm just not going to analyze it through my analytical lens because I want to enjoy something. I support that. (laughs) I support allowing you to enjoy things. I also... You said it was pretty, and that reminded me that it was very pretty, and I liked all of the interiors so much. Oh my god, the interior, the set design, ugh, the interiors in this movie. Movie, show, yeah. Her apartment is incredible. Her apartment is like, it's like, it's like a fairy tale. Like, I'm I'm particularly in love with those, like, blue walls with the white trim and then the dark wood doors and just, like, and the things that were above the doors and just, like, ugh. I, yes. Mm-hmm. I actually really want to paint a large portion of my apartment dark blue for the, like, dark blue and trim thing, and I can't because I rent and I have a buzzkill of a landlord but like yeah it's beautiful her room with the stencils on the wall and like you really get a sense of who she is and oh my god we didn't even talk about the muppet she makes a muppet of how she imagines him to be and it's so good and she just has this little muppet of him that she talks to it's so good (laughs) so good it was cute it was really cute it was very cute i will give you that it was very cute yeah I'm going to watch it again because I'm going to make Tom watch it with me because Tom's going to like it too. I support that. I support you two enjoying it. And I do I do ultimately, like, I have quibbles. I have one more analytical thing okay. that I will ask your permission to bring up. Yes, you may bring it up. I was just saying I'm not going to do that. That's fair. Yeah. So one more thing, although if I just allow my headcanon to be true, it yep. doesn't bother me as much. Okay. But one thing that bothers me is if we are like accepting the premise that Lily is a straight girl, which I think is the premise that the movie would like us to accept, the whole thing where she like she is surrounded by and like continually throughout the film, like guided by and watched over by a bunch of elder queers. And just like that dynamic with her being a straight girl is not something I love. Yeah. I said I wasn't going to get analytical, but I think we can get into the idea of queer as other here, though, right? Like, I think it, I I mean, okay, so 
Inside me are two wolves, and the first wolf is the thing I said earlier about Netflix diversity, where it's like, <laughs> the the secondary characters are all super diverse, but at the core we have a straight couple who are mm-hmm. thin and conventionally attractive falling for each other. Yes. So that wolf is very present, and I'm aware of it. And, and the other wolf is, I spent a lot of time reading queer theory and debating queer theory last year and um i think we can look at queerness as distinct from sexuality Mm. and can also accept that like like i don't believe this lily kid as a straight kid well (laughs) see this this is where this is where my headcanon comes in so like my my headcanon is like absolutely i do not believe that lily is a straight girl um like partially just like she just reads very queer to me in terms of that like weirdness that you're talking about and like also things that I can like relate to from my own childhood but like she reads very queer to me um there's also a line towards the end of the movie that I think you can take as her as evidence of her being attracted to girls which is like where she says something about uh she says something about Dash's ex whose name I'm forgetting right now Sophia but just talking about her being like perfect and gorgeous and everything it's like that sounds like you're a little bit into her. <laughs> so my headcanon is that she is bi or pan. And if if that is accepted as true, then I don't have a problem yeah. with it. Um, I would have liked the movie to have just done that outright. That would have made me like it. But I also think that elder queers, speaking as an elder queer, I guess, because we lost a whole generation to AIDS, have a tendency to look out for queer-coded youth, right? Like, mm. if I'm looking at teenagers and I'm thinking, if I, like, see a youth who I'm going to look out for and take under my wing, oftentimes that is a kid who I recognize myself in. And oftentimes, and this has happened a few times now, this is a kid who identifies it straight at the time and comes out several years later. So, like, I think you can also read her being surrounded by queer elders who are looking out for her as evidence of her queerness. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Especially, like, if I'm thinking of it, it's like, at Lily's age, I thought I was a straight woman. So. (laughs) (laughs) How does it feel to get that 100% wrong? I know you don't like uh, failing tests. (laughs) (laughs) Just took me a little bit longer. (laughs) Only test you ever failed. (laughs) True. The test I failed was knowing my sexuality and gender uh, at an got, early enough age. You got there. That's all that matters. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, didn't, I didn't fail the test. I just had to retake it several there you, times. Okay. I'm sorry that I said you failed a test, Bailey. I would never. <laughs> it was hurtful of me and it was wrong. I want to talk for a minute about romance. I think I have flirted with this topic a couple of times and I have a confession to make. Yes. So I feel like in the past two years, every time we've ever talked about anything mushy and romantic, I have been like, I don't really get romance. I'm very practical. I don't really know about romance and feelings and mush. Um, And this year, that is all changing. I have become a glutton for mush. Okay. I'm like the Oliver Twist of romance. I want more. I am having all these new feelings in my heart and my tummy. 
Um, and I really cared about the romance. I really cared about Dash and Lily getting together. I had like several mm -hmm. moments of like, oh no, is this going to be one of those things where they're like, surprise, they end up with other people, but they learned about themselves because mm. that was going to piss me off if that happened. I wanted them to get together and they did and it was cute and I had feelings about it. And then I had even more feelings about Langston and Bobby. And then when Langston pulled out the notebook and said, you can write in this and mail it to me in the most just blissfully pointless romantic gesture because it takes a long time for a notebook to get mailed from Puerto Rico to New York. I just melted. I was just a little puddle of mush and, and I'm having romantic feelings and they're confusing and new. I did really love that scene at the end with Langston and Benny. Like, that Benny. did... Like... I have called him Bobby through this whole episode. <laughs> I think you only did it once. Bobby, baby. I definitely did it more than once, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was 100% there for that. Um, I'm I'm so glad that you were taking joy from romantic, mushy feelings all of a sudden. And maybe that's why you hated this two years ago and love it now that's what i'm wondering that's why i need to read it but i have a hunch it was the writing i think that probably played a large role at least and that pisses me off because i love rachel Cohn. i love her i True. love her i have read like the gingerbread trilogy is my comfort reading that is what i read i love it i had the great joy of introducing caddy to this like to that trilogy last year mm -hmm. i love rachel Cohn, and it is disappointing because, like, Rachel Cohn is usually really good. And I love her, like, other books, too. And I think one of the strengths Rachel Cohn has as a writer is writing obnoxious teenage girls as deeply nuanced, sympathetic characters. And David Levitan is also not, like, he's a decent writer. Um, I do wonder I if part of this... Hmm? Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I also, like, now that you're saying that David Levitan was, like, the first queer YA I read, and I read all the David Levitan in the library, because it was, like, the first queer representation I had ever encountered. Mm -hmm. And so for them to write this disappointing... <sighs> anyway, I'm happy to see it redeemed. I wonder if part of it is, like, and we talked about this when we talked about the book, but this was, like... Because they had already written Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, right? Which is so good also. I love Nick and Nora's Infinite Play Playlist. Another very good book. And so I wonder if part of this was like they were asked to do like a Christmas version of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, but they weren't like actually that into it. And so it ended up just not being very good. I, I think even when we reviewed it two years ago, that was my take on it, was the only way I can see two such skilled writers who are like giants in their field writing such a disappointing book is that it was at their their publisher's request um mm -hmm. but I know that there are so a I think Eunice mentioned that she actually really liked uh Dash and Lily's book of dares yeah. and I do generally trust Eunice's taste in books Mm -hmm. uh, my my co-host on this show um, you know generally and um, I also found out that there are some sequels to Dash and Lily's Book of Dares which I did not know and so now I kind of want to revisit all of the books maybe I'll do that over the over the mm -hmm. holidays actually and I want to see if reading them as a series changes anything for me I just feel like I need to give them 
an honest shot now for the sake of Rachel Cohn. And Rachel Cohn wrote the screenplay for the show. Mm-hmm. And th- like this movie was definitely like it did a much better job of this story than the book did, I think. Yeah. Anyway, I'm cu- that's why I'm curious to see if some of the later ones like do a better job if maybe there's like some stuff that mm-hmm. um, Rachel Cohn retconned as she went on, you know. And also Maybe honestly year. to see if Lily might be queer cuz now I'm very curious. Maybe next year we'll have to do like all of the Dash and Lily books as a as a December episode. Exactly. Not for all of December. I mean one episode on all uh, of the Dash and Lily books. <laughs> I was not suggesting a Dash and Lily December. We might lose me that way. We're now a Rachel Conan David Levitin podcast and all we're going to do now is read books by them the end. Man, oh my god, I'm feeling so nostalgic for like my high school library. Not my high school, my school didn't have a library. It did, but it had like a lot of Amish romance novels in it. But the library I went to while I was in high school, which is the Cambridge Public Library, which, oh my god, I love it so much. And just reading every single David Levitin and bless them for having the selection of queer fiction that they did. Because I wasn't even calling myself queer yet. It was like, I'm not queer, I'm just, I only want to read books about queer kids. (laughs) You're just a really good ally, TM. Oh, absolutely. Super good ally. Such a good ally. All I do is read about being queer and wonder what it would be like to be part of the community and feel kind of left out that I'm not part of the community and feel kind of sad about that and read a lot of queer fiction. Not queer. Yeah. (laughs) If you can relate, go follow us on Instagram. (laughs) All right. Shall we, uh, shall we pack it? Yes, let's. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually at tefferbear and at thebalesosaurus. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. Alternately, if you are really upset with the way the show is going, becoming just a Rachel Cohn and David Levitin show, uh, show us you're mad by signing up on Patreon and sending us a message. You can get all kinds of great perks, including yelling at us for the direction the show is taking, early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons Emmett, Cameron, Emily Patton, Megan, Jane, Maddie, Dever, Chantal Thomas, Lizzie Tenhove, Kat McGuire, Erica Stitchberry, and Catherine Reshi. You are so great. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian, that's me, and edited by Tom Zalat and I as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I'm Tom Zalatni, executive producer of the Upford Network and host and producer of Up for Discussion, a podcast about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. But wait, isn't Up for Discussion a comedy podcast? It sure was, but things change. It's a food show now, and it's a very, very good food show. Every week, I dig into a different ingredient, dish, meal, or cuisine with help from friends and guest experts who know way more about this stuff than I do. Do you like food? Of course you do. You're a person. So you will like this show. Go listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Up for discussion. It's a food podcast now. Brought to you by the Upford Network. Hey, I'm Ox.
October Jones, and Hi, this I'm is... I'm fish with legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish with Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish with Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish with Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't Fun be- for adults and kids. <laughs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts and, of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's it.